Hello everyone, welcome to Weekly Wholesome Words with Pastor Josh. It's a joy and privilege to be able to get into God's Word with you today and be able to provide you some words for this upcoming week. Um, we're going to be taking a look at a significant issue within our godly edification, the curriculum that God has for our godly edification. And there's some things that most fundamentally need to be dealt with and need to be learned and we need to be educated in when we become a believer, when we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our all-sufficient Savior. And those fundamental things really um, stem from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 kind of begins the, the launching pad, as it were, for the things and the purpose and the goal and the objective that God has with us who are now justified unto eternal life, who now have a new identity in Christ, being dead to sin, alive unto God. Those now who are no longer under the law, but under grace, who have are have become dead to the law and married to another, and that is to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and that living union relationship that we have with Christ under his grace, and the, and the walk that we can have after the Spirit. All those things are have been given to us and are geared toward something very specific. It's that goal, it's that objective that Paul begins to highlight in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. And if you remember what the issue of sanctification means, and that issue began to be dealt with by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, when you come out of chapter 5 and you learn that God's grace is, is uh, abundant and it abounds. And when we come out of Romans chapter 6, we want, or into chapter 6, we want that grace to abound. And he explains how that grace can abound by our new sanctified position in Christ. And we learned, and we learn about what sanctification is. And we learn about its, its issue of holiness and we issue about uh, something that, that's separated unto God for his holy purpose. And we learned about the fruit unto holiness there in Romans chapter 6. And we learned about the end of it being everlasting life. And the, the nature of our fruit that we can bear as it stems forth from who we've now become in Christ. It has a purpose to it. The fruit that we bear is not just fruit to be fruit, not just for fruit, fruit sake, but fruit in regards to what God's talking about has a purpose to it. Just like real fruit, you take of the fruit and you eat it and you get nourishment from it. Well, the purpose of the fruit that we're going to bear has a purpose to it, has an objective to it. That purpose and that objective is to be fundamentally understood from some things that are set forth in Romans chapter 1, later revisited in Romans chapter 5, and then become, because of all the necessary fundamental and preliminary information that needs to be given and understood first, begins to be spelled out in detail in Romans chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 1 with me. Look how Paul starts this epistle. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. 
and Paul is going to explain what is involved in the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the issues contained within the gospel of God are promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And he goes on. First of all, I want you to notice that the, what Paul separated unto the information that he separated unto, he separated from the other apostles in regards to this information, but he separated unto some information made known back in the prophets. And also, that has a tie and connection to David, because it concerns God's son. That's, his, that's the good news of God. It concerns his son. And when, you talk, when you're talking about things that concern his son, you, you have to deal with, in regards to God's son, you have to deal with whom he described he was going to be a father to unto his son. You have to deal with David. But the thing I want you to notice, even more general than that, is this son, God's son, whom the gospel of God concerns, and now he's raised from the dead, it's by whom? It's by God's son who was raised from the dead that Paul received this grace. And what I want you to see is even though this information is set forth in the prophets and some details regarding it concern David in regards to the, the consideration of God's son, and even though it's involved in the, the resurrection from the dead, it's, it's Christ in his resurrected life who delivered this grace and apostleship to Paul as he received it to get something accomplished in connection with what he's accomplished and what he, his purpose, and that purpose and that accomplishment obviously took place through the cross and his resurrection, but it has a purpose behind it. And that purpose, folks, is going to be spelled out in the prophets and in regards to David. Now come back with me to Second Samuel chapter 7 in regards to the Davidic covenant and the, the, the very basic and fundamental uh, declaration of the Davidic covenant is found in Second Samuel chapter 7. And I want you to see how this all lines up with what Paul is separate unto, what he's received, and therefore what, his, what the grace that, that he's received and the apostleship that he's received is going to uh, revolve around this good news of God and what he has, the, 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 the nitty-gritty, fundamental, rather radical root element of what Paul has received is found in the prophets and, and that's just natural when you think about what what Paul's going to minister when he's going to minister Christ when he's going to minister um, 
what Jesus Christ has done, the details of the Christ coming, the details of the purpose of the Christ and his ultimate goal and objectives is set forth in the prophets. And Paul being separated unto that is not going to depart from He's not going to depart from the radical root element of what the prophets described. He's going to take that as he's separated unto it. He's received those things. But as you go on, you're going to see how how uh, that begins to take um, different shape than the shape that it was originally intended, the shape in which it was originally given back when the prophets spoke about it. And it's going to be that different shape is going to take the shape of the mystery. But when, you t- when you're talking about the mystery of Christ, which Paul eventually calls it over there in Ephesians chapter 3, you have to understand that the, that part of the mystery of Christ, the, the of Christ part is what was spoken about in the prophets, with David, what Paul separate unto, but it's the the mystery of Christ. The mystery aspect wasn't made known. In fact, that's why Paul is separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel of God and the content of the Christ is spelled out by the prophets, and we'll see with David, but why he's separated unto it is for a specific reason, but his separation unto it involves it, first of all, because you can't have the mystery of Christ unless you have the details of the Christ first. And so Paul's going to explain the Christ, he's going to explain what the Christ has done, and then he's going to get to his goal and objective of why he's separated unto the gospel of God. Why isn't he just a part of the preaching of the gospel of God, just like the apostle, the apostle, the 12 apostles? Why does he have to be separated from them and separated unto the gospel of God because of the purpose that he has? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. The Lord's speaking to Nathan here. And Nathan's going to go communicate this to David. So he's going to make of David an house. David started to get the, the dimensions and all the, the preparation work for the temple, the house of God, that his son Solomon was eventually going to build. But here it's coming along and the Lord's saying, I'm going to make of you an house. Now that house could be the issue of a, a, of a certain dwelling place, a, a, a physical house. But what he's talking about here, when he says, I'll make of thee, he's not, he doesn't say, I'm going to make you a house. But he says I, that, that he will make thee. He's talking actually about David. I'll make you, David, a house. And what he's going to put within that house is himself in David's seed line. The seed of David was going to come God's son, God in the flesh. God was going to enflesh himself in the seed line of David. Look what goes on to describe verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. That's, that's the house concept. 
that 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 David's seed is going to be the enfleshing of the Christ, the enfleshing of God out of thy bowels, and I will establish His kingdom. Notice there's the, there's the the proceeding out of thy bowels for a purpose of I will establish His kingdom, but that's not it. He shall build an house. There's actually He's gonna. The, it's gonna be the Christ that actually builds an house. Now. Solomon obviously does this, but notice what the house that Solomon builds, it's not going to fit the description that is going to be given here. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon's throne wasn't established forever. That's the Christ. So Solomon does build a house for God, for his name, but the, the establishment of, of his throne is not forever. That's going to be the Christ. Verse 14, I'll be his father and he shall be my son. And that's what Paul's beginning. That's what he's separated unto concerning his son. Verse 16, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now there's two issues there. Verse 16, what he said there in verse 13, the issue of a kingdom, an issue of a house, an issue of a throne, and the issue of its establishment forever. So you have a throne and you have the eternal issue. And folks, it's those two basic things. They're not basic in the sense of getting them accomplished, but as far as identifying them, it's those two basic things Paul separated unto and what he is going to, and that he's received from the, from the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he already was raised from the dead to offer that eternal basic issue. And that's what Paul's going to minister through his gospel. And that's going to get the not only the forever issue to be had by those that believe Paul's gospel, but the opportunity to partake in his throne, in the throne concept. The throne concept here is specific to Israel's kingdom. But when you take away Israel's kingdom and you look about you look at the issue of of, of thy kingdom, it's it's gonna be on this earth. But if you take a look at if if you rip that out if you rip it from Israel as it were, and, and you ha what you have left is a is a kingdom issue and a throne issue, and what you have in that is the issue of ruling and reigning. The eternal life issue is what Paul's going to minister. And that's going to be for the purpose of ruling and reigning in that eternal life. Come with me to Romans chapter 5 as this is concluding. We'll, we'll pick this up again next week. This gives a general gist of what Paul's ministering in Romans in regards to the Christ and what eventually, as he gives snippets in Romans 5 and he gives snippets in Romans 6 and 7 and 8, and 9 and 10 and 11 regarding the mystery of Christ. But look at Romans chapter 5 when he's comparing between what the Christ has provided in contrast to what Adam provided. These two issues come out. Pick it up here in verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. So Adam was the one that sinned, and that's not there's an inequality between what was produced by the one that sinned 
compared to the one who produced the gift. For the judgment, God's decision and his reaction and response in connection to what Adam did and in connection to with what Christ did was by one to condemnation. One man, one sin, condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification, which just goes to show you how much stronger justification is than his condemnation. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, watch this, much more they which receive, notice there's going to be two issues of receiving here, and that fits back into what Paul received and what he's separated unto and what he's ministering. And when you believe Paul's gospel, we too have received something. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ, the one in whom was being spoken of back there in Second Samuel chapter 7. Now as we become beneficiaries of that, there's those twofold issues. Receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness provides the life, the abundance of grace, which is what, what you're going to get as you get out of chapter 6, what it's all geared towards. The abundance of grace is the ability to reign in that life. And that's what that fruit unto holiness that he begins to introduce. That's what the grace abounding in chapter 6, your new identity in Christ, that's what it's all geared towards. That's the, that's the goal. That's the functionality for you to, and the fruit that you are to bear is to that end. And that's all the time that we have. We'll pick this up next week looking at Romans 6 and finally getting back here to Romans 8 where I wanted to get. And that's what he's going to start to talk about when he talks about being joint heirs with Christ. You're supposed to have an understanding of that concept from before, from what was being taught in the book of Romans already and what that was linking up with regarding the Christ. Well, again, as always, I hope this provokes your thinking, and we'll look at it more next week. Until then, look up.